Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 17 if you've got Bibles and uh, don't worry if you don't because the words will appear on the screen. Let's pray once more as we come to read and hear from God's word. Lord God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the word that you've given to us. Thank you that in the words we read, you speak and we hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we read, I just pray you would have your way in our lives. You would speak to us. You would challenge us. You would inspire and you would encourage us. I pray we would worship during this time, Lord God. It wouldn't be like the singing's over. Now we stop worship. But it would be a time of worship as we read your word and and hear the word preached. And I ask that Jesus Christ would get all the glory and all the praise in Jesus name. Amen. So we're continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew and it's an absolute banger of a passage of a story from Jesus's life this morning. Or rather, should I say, it's a bright, white, shining glimpse of Jesus's glory on a mountaintop in Galilee that floors the disciples. And I pray that just as it radically transformed the lives of the disciples who were present on that mountaintop. I pray this passage would greatly impact our lives as well. So let's just get straight into the passage. Let's read together Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 to 13 and the little subheading. The subheadings aren't part of the original Greek manuscript but the little subheading says the transfiguration. Let's read together Matthew 17 1 to 13. After six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognise him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. The first thing I want us to see together in Matthew chapter 17 is a greater glimpse of Jesus's heavenly glory than the disciples had seen before. That's what's going on on this mountain top, on this mountainside. The disciples, Peter, James and John, get a greater glimpse of Jesus's heavenly glory than they had seen before. Do you know, in chapter 16, Peter had said to Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And so Peter believed that in his heart. He had understood something of who Jesus was. He had understood that this was 
an amazing man and not just a man, but the son of the living God. Peter had declared that, had confessed that, believed that. And yet now in chapter 17, he sees it and he hears it in a greater, more glorious way. That which he confessed in chapter 16 is shown to him in glory at the top of this mountain. He even hears the words of God the Father himself. God the Father speaks and says, you were right, Peter, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that's what this story is ultimately all about. It's a vision of the glory of God the Son. A picture, a story of the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter goes on to be an apostle and he goes on to write two letters in the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter 1.16, this is what Peter writes. We were eyewitnesses of Jesus's majesty. This is the story he's speaking about. Peter's writing to the churches, he's writing to the Christians and he said, I saw Jesus's majesty, I saw Jesus's glory with my own eyes. I knew that this was God the Son before me here on earth. And let me tell you about this mountainside experience that he had. And that, in 2 Peter 1.16, that's exactly what Peter is talking about. He's talking about the transfiguration. He saw, he was an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus Christ. And he went to the grave. He, he, the, the tradition is that he was crucified upside down, Peter, because he didn't want to die in the same way of G as Jesus died. And so the tradition goes that he said, well, crucify me upside down because I don't want to do, do it the right way up. That's the way Jesus died and he deserves the glory for that. So crucify me upside down. That's the tradition of Jesus. Uh, sorry, that's the tradition of Peter's death. We know that Peter died for his faith. He died saying, I saw Jesus' majesty. I saw his glory. He was martyred saying, I was on a mountain and I saw the face of Jesus transfigured and his clothes transformed. And I heard God the Father speak from this cloud of brightness and declare him to be the son. And therefore I'm unafraid to die for what I believe because I was an eyewitness to this. And so let's look in Matthew 17 and see the way that Jesus's glory and majesty is revealed. In verse two, his face shone like the sun and his clothes become white as light. Verse two is a pretty spectacular, glorious verse. Can you imagine Jesus standing on this mountaintop, his face shining like the sun, his clothes white as light. Some of the other gospels don't compare Jesus's clothes to light, but compare Jesus's clothes to snow. They become white as snow. So just very, very white and bright and dazzling and glorious. Brightness, lightness, whiteness to Christ, shining from his faith, at face and shining from his clothes. I wonder whether you sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing over this Christmas period. There's a line in Hark the Herald Angels Sing that's speaking about Jesus and says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. And what that verse means is that Jesus is God. He's God the Son. He's taken on human flesh. And so you, when you look at Jesus, you see God, but in some sense, the human flesh is, is in a sense veiling some of the glory of Jesus's heavenly glory. You know, when you looked at Jesus, 
he looks just like an ordinary man most of the time. And so we sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. It's, it's a great, great line of this carol that we sing. It's one of the reasons, I think I said on one of the Zooms, it's my favourite carol. It's one of, it's, that's one of the reasons it's my favourite carol, because this great theology of, the, of God coming to earth. And we see God in Jesus Christ. And yet there's some form of veiling happening in that. Well, for a moment, on this mountainside, the veil is lifted. And the disciples see not just Jesus the man, but Jesus in his heavenly glory, his face shining and his clothes white as light. We know that Jesus has dwelt eternally with the Father, God the Father and God the Son in heaven forever. And so before Jesus descended onto the earth, he was in heaven in glory with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. And you can imagine it shining bright and glorious and wonderful in the Trinity, in this amazing Godhead forever. And it's here on this mountain that they see something of that, of Jesus's heavenly, eternal glory. There are then three beholds in the passage. So verse two happens, his face shines, his clothes are transformed. And then the passage goes into these beholds. So the first behold is in verse three. Behold, there appeared Moses and Elijah upon the mountain. Two heroes of the Old Testament are there. It's almost as if heaven is opening up upon this mountain. And these guys, I mean, Elijah didn't die. Elijah was taken up in a chariot into heaven. And so Elijah's on this mountaintop. It's like heaven's opened and Elijah's there. And Moses, there's, there's, there's a Jewish tradition that Moses didn't die either. It says in the Bible that Jesus died on Mount Nebo and and. There's kind of Jewish traditions that Moses was taken up just from the mountaintop of Mount Nebo. Um, but we don't know. Maybe he died there. Maybe he was just taken up. There's no grave of Moses, basically, is the, is the idea in Jewish tradition. So these two guys who have this tradition of being in heaven with God, suddenly they're there on the mountaintop. Heaven's opening. Jesus is showing his glory. His face is shining. And these heroes, Moses and Elijah, are stood next to him. There's another behold in verse 5. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them at the start of verse 5. And the cloud throughout the Old Testament was symbolic of the presence of God. When God appeared in the Old Testament, he tended to appear in a great cloud. If it, by night, he, he appeared often as fire, but during the day, he was often this cloud. And so when the bright cloud appears on this mountaintop, heaven's opening. God is here. He is present in our midst. And there's actually another behold in verse 5. But the ESV translators didn't think that you could behold a voice. So the verse just says there was a voice that they heard. But actually the Greek says, behold, a voice out of the clouds. There's a third behold in verse 5. It says, behold, Moses and Elijah, behold, a bright cloud, behold, a voice speaking. And what does the voice say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. All three beholds point to the glory of Christ. You know, you might think they're distractions. You might think, oh, take my eyes off of Jesus. Let's look at Moses and Elijah appearing over here. But that's not really what that's not what the behold is about. 
because all the beholds are to point to the glory of Christ. It's like Moses and Elijah are here and they're, they're gazing at the Christ. They're seeing Jesus in his glory. The presence of God in the cloud. The cloud is here. God is here. But Jesus is the one shining. Is it, is it God here in Jesus Christ himself? And of course, the voice of the Father doesn't say, hey, I'm the Father. Come and listen to me. I'm the... No, he says, this is Jesus. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You see, all three beholds aren't about distracting us from Jesus Christ. They're about pointing us to this amazing vision of Jesus revealing his heavenly glory. All three beholds honour the magnificence of God the Son. And therefore, I think that this passage, first and foremost, should just call us to worship Jesus in our hearts. His magnificent, his shining face, his white clothes, Moses and Elijah turning up to honour him, this cloud overshadowing the mountain and the Father speaking. Our attention should be directed towards Jesus and and we should be moved in our hearts to glorify him and honour him. There's a reason why we choose songs that speak about Jesus Christ, that worship Jesus Christ, because he receives our worship and our adoration. And as we read Matthew 17, we've missed the point if our hearts aren't going to that place of saying, wow, Jesus is spectacularly glorious. He's spectacular in majesty. His his brightness, his his shininess, just everything about him must have appeared so glorious and so wonderful. I want to just honour him and worship him. And maybe you just want to stop listening to me for the rest of this sermon and just praise Jesus in your hearts for the rest of this time, giving him the glory and the worship and the honour he deserves. Here is the beloved son with his face shining and his clothes bright. Here is the one that Moses and Elijah have come to honour. Here is the one that the Father is well pleased. Here is the one who has come in human flesh to reveal God to humanity and yet now he is appearing in greater glory than ever before to the disciples in order that they would honour and worship him together. Behold Christ's glory. Honour him in your hearts and praise him. He is the spectacular and glorious King. You know, maybe you just want to stay in with point one for the rest of this sermon, but I've got three other points that I want us to get through, but maybe you just want to stay there. And if so, that's great. The second thing I would like us to do is really reflect on and dig into why are Moses and Elijah there? Why are Moses and Elijah on this mountainside? And I think the answer is this. Moses and Elijah both met with God and saw something of his glory on a mountain in the Old Testament. I don't know whether you made that connection in your head, but both Moses and Elijah met with God and saw something of his glory on a mountain. Moses was on Mount Sinai and he said to God, show me your glory. And God says to Moses, my glory will pass by. I'm going to pass by, but you cannot see my face. For if you see my face, you will surely die. So as I pass by, all you will see is my back, but you will still see so much of my glory. And so Moses said, show me your glory. And God the Father answered that and and said, you know, I'm going to pass by. You'll see something of my glory. But now Moses' request is more fully answered, is more fully responded to because Moses sees in Christ the glory of God more fully. He can see the face of Jesus, the human face of Jesus, and it's shining wonderfully. 
In Exodus 33, Moses sees something of the glory of God on a mountaintop. But here in Matthew 17, Moses sees a fuller, greater revelation, revelation of just how glorious God is in God the Son, Jesus Christ. Elijah, in 1 Kings 19, actually asks God to take his life. He's kind of reached the end of himself. He's, he's full of sorrow. He's full of sadness. He kind of thinks that he's the only one left. He's the only believer in God left and everyone else has given into idolatry. He's wrong about that. He's wrong about that. God tells him that he's wrong, but he's just reached the end of himself. He, he wants to die. He says to God, take my life. But instead, God does something different. He takes him to a mountaintop. He feeds him. He gives him the sustenance he needs. And he says to Elijah, I will pass by you here on this mountain. There's a mighty wind that passes by, but God is not in the wind. There's an earthquake but God is not in the earthquake. There's a fire on this mountaintop, but God is not in the fire. And then there's a whisper or a silence and God's passing by the mountainside, meeting with Elijah in this place. So Elijah has, has experienced something of the presence of God and something of the glory of God on that mountaintop. But here in Matthew 17, he has a greater encounter with God through Jesus Christ, God the Son. That's why I think Moses and Elijah are here on this mountaintop to say, here is a great revelation of the glory of God in Jesus. But I want, to just, I want to pause and consider Moses just a little longer because there are so many parallels in this text, um, between this text and the story of Mount Sinai. And if you were really digging, if you were spending hours and hours digging into the language and the different phrases here in Matthew 17, and you were well acquainted with the book of Exodus, you'd be going, oh, there's a, there's a connection, there's a connection, there's a connection. Matthew has kind of crafted his account of this story to make the reader think about Moses on Mount Sinai. So, for instance, one connection is that we have a mountain covered in cloud. Do you know when the Ten Commandments are given? The Ten Commandments are in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 19, this is what God says to Moses. Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. And so God descends on Mount Sinai in a thick cloud. Well, there's a clear connection. There's a bright cloud here in Matthew 17. There was a thick cloud in Exodus 19. It says in Exodus 19, on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And what that means is he came down in this thick cloud. And also, this isn't just a thick cloud moment. It's also a top of mountaintop experience because Exodus 19 verse 20 says, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top. So just as Jesus and his disciples have walked to the top and the disciples encounter God, so the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain to enter into the cloud and to experience the presence of God. The shining face of Jesus is a connection. Because Moses, having encountered the presence of God, when he comes down from the mountain, his face shines. And actually Moses has to wear a veil when he speaks to the people because he's been in the presence of God and his face is shining. So there's a connection. Jesus' face is shining brightly. Moses' face shined brightly in the story of Exodus, in Exodus 34. And of course, Moses' very presence in this story is an obvious connection to Mount Sinai. I'm sure there are more. I, I, 
I think that if we really dug down deep, we'd start to go, wow, this verse in Exodus, this verse in Matthew, this verse in Exodus. And we just go, there's just so many parallels in the way Matthew's taken this account. There are enough similarities for us to ask the question, why? Why, why is there this connection? Why is there connection between Mount Sinai and this mountain in Matthew 17? Why is Matthew evoking Moses at Mount Sinai in this account? And I want to answer that question by looking at the differences, actually. There's lots of similarities between Mount Sinai and this mountain, but there are also some very obvious and apparent differences. And I think those are the things that we are to, our attention is to be drawn to. We're to say, this is like Mount Sinai, but different. How and why is it different? Well, the first way in which it's different is just how much greater Jesus is than Moses. God speaks in the cloud to Moses in the presence of all Israel so that the people would believe him. He's speaking to Moses and he's bringing the cloud and he's saying, I'm doing this so that when Moses says, this is what God said to me, you believe him. You You trust that he is truly giving you my words. But God the Father does something different in Matthew 17. He says simply, listen to Jesus. Don't believe that Jesus is just telling you my words. No, listen to him, for he is God himself. Do you see the distinction? Moses was just to be believed, but Jesus was to be listened to directly. Moses' face shone after encountering God. It was almost like the glory of God kind of rubbed off on him. He spent time with God and his face shone and then Moses Moses had a a face shining. Jesus' face shines and his clothes dazzle even before the cloud shows up on the mountainside. Do you see? Jesus is the is the source of the glory in this moment. It's not that God shows up in the mountain and Jesus has a conversation with God the Father and then Jesus' face shines. No, Jesus' face is transformed and his clothes transformed before the cloud comes and before these amazing behold moments. Moses is showing the glory of God when his face shines. Jesus is revealing his own glory when his face shines. And of course, Moses is called a great prophet throughout the Old Testament. He really was a leader that God had raised up on his behalf. He's a great prophet. But when God speaks, he says something far greater and more glorious about Jesus Christ, doesn't he, on this mountaintop? He doesn't say, this is a prophet, believe him when he shares what I'm telling you. No, this is my beloved son. Jesus is a prophet, but he is far more than that. He is the divine son of God. I think that word beloved is really beautiful, by the way. It's the, it's the second time this exact phrase appears in Matthew's Gospel. The first time was at Jesus' baptism. John baptised Jesus and God the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. It happens again. I love that word beloved because what, what is God the Father speaking about? He's speaking about his love for his son. God the Father loving God the Son. He's the beloved son. Sometimes, you know, when I'm feeling particularly holy, I love to just reflect on the Trinity and the Father loving the Son and the Son loving the Spirit and the Holy Spirit loving the Son and loving the Father, the love that exists within God. It's only Christianity you can say that God is love. If if God was not Trinity, then God would have to create in order to love. Because if if there was just one person within the Godhead, who would God love? Therefore, God would have to create in order to become love. 
But in Christianity, we believe in one God, but three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And therefore, God can be love without creation. And therefore, we can say God is eternally love because God the Father has eternally loved God the Son. And God the Son has eternally loved God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit and God the Son have eternally loved God the Father. Therefore, God is love and has always been love in the Christian faith. And that is a unique thing. No other religion can really say that, I don't think. Certainly not monotheistic religions that don't have the Trinitarian theology that we have as Christians. I said, just reflect on that. Jesus is the beloved son. He has been eternally beloved by God the Father. And of course, the Christian gospel is that the love within the Trinity overflows into creation in order that God might show his love to us. His, his sons and daughters, we, we receive from Jesus and we take on sonship. We, in some sense, we don't become the son of God like Jesus Christ is, but we become sons and daughters of God and we share in the love of the Trinity. That's, that's the good news of Christianity. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are experiencing and feeling and, and knowing this love of the Trinity in your life as well. So there's comparisons with Mount Sinai basically to say Moses was pretty cool, but Jesus is so much greater. He is the glorious one. He has his own source of glory. He is the beloved son. I think there's another comparison, another difference as well, which starts to teach us about grace. At Sinai, when the cloud came upon the mountain, the people were filled with fear and were told to remain at the foot of the mountain. In fact, what God says to Moses is, if they even touch the mountain, they will die. They must stay at the foot of the mountain because I am so holy. I am so majestic and glorious that they cannot come into my presence. Only you, Moses, you're my chosen one to come into the presence on the mountainside. And if the people of Israel come into the cloud, they will surely die. That's what happens in Mount Sinai. And there's a fear, a reverence for God, a respect for his holiness that's encouraged in the Sinai story. And that's, that's increased when the law is given, the Ten Commandments are given. You must stay at the foot of the mountain, don't come into the cloud lest you surely die. And here are my rules, here are my commands for how you should live. And if you break these commandments, then you will surely die as well. For I am a holy God, I'm the giver of life to all who obey my commands. But to those who disobey my commands, there is a punishment of death. So the Mount Sinai story is a story in which fear increases. But what happens here in Matthew 17, Jesus invites Peter... James and John up the mountain. They're not to stay at the bottom of the mountain lest they die. No, Jesus says, "Come, hey, come with me. Come with me up the mountain. And, and you know, they don't know what they're in for. They don't know what's going to happen. But when they get up there, I don't know, they, they must have been blown away by what was happening, that they were invited into this moment. And take a look at verse 7. So the disciples are fearful. They, are, they fall on their faces in terror at what they're experiencing. Perhaps they're thinking about Exodus and going, we're going to die. We're in the cloud. God said, if anyone touches the mountain in the cloud, they will surely die. We're here. So they fall on their faces, terrified. Jesus in verse 7 says, rise and have no fear. That's a really stark difference with the Sinai story. Rise and have no fear. I want to encourage you 
as Christians, we believe in the gospel of grace. And we believe that God wants to have a relationship with us. We, we believe that God wants to show us his glory in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says to us, rise and have no fear. Don't ever be fearful to come into the presence of God, to pray and to be with him, because Jesus died for you and his blood washes you clean. So you don't come as a sinner into the presence of God. If you're a believer in Christ, you come as a blameless one, a forgiven one, and therefore you can come confidently into the presence of God. I think this is this grace moment is, is showing us this, that even people like Peter, do you remember what happened at the end of chapter 16? The last thing we read last week was that Jesus said, I'm going to have to die. And Peter goes, no, you, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. He says, get behind me. Uh, Jesus re- responds to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter is called Satan in chapter 16. Well, here he is, the grace of Jesus Christ being led up the mountainside in order to encounter the glory of Jesus Christ in the transfiguration, to hear the voice of the Father. Isn't this a story of grace and forgiveness and the love of God, that we should have no fear in entering into relationship with God and beholding his glory? So we have a glorious betrayal of Jesus' majesty. We have a comparison with Sinai that shows us even more of Jesus's glory and emphasises grace, a change in accessibility to God. But what shall we do with this great story? What shall we do with this great moment? Well, I believe the answer is in the passage in verse five. The father's words in verse five. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. To be a Christian is to be an active listener to Jesus. He is the beloved son. He is God the son. He is the glorious one. And therefore, when he speaks, may we listen. Whoever has ears, let him hear, Jesus would often say, as he taught amongst the people. And I think that's exactly what it is to be a Christian, to use our ears to listen to Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you, I want to challenge you, are you someone who actively listens to God the Son? If I was to go to Jesus and say, hey, is this person a good listener? I wonder what Jesus would say. Are you a good listener to Jesus in your Christian life? I think there's a prophetic element to listening to God. We need to be people who wait in silence, who ask Jesus to speak to us, to to want to hear from him on a regular basis. Are you someone who sets aside time um, to listen to Jesus, to hear from him? Or are you someone who, you know, your quiet times is, I've just got to read this as quickly as possible because I've got to get to work in two minutes. So you don't spend any time listening. You just go, read, 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 bosh, 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 gone. We need to be people who are actively listening to Jesus, creating time in the quiet to hear from him prophetically. But primarily, we know that we hear Jesus's words through the Bible. When we read these words, we are listening to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to be a Christian who picks up the word of God and says, Jesus, I'm listening. Would you speak to me? And then maybe a quiet, maybe a time of just waiting, seeing if Jesus is going to guide you speak to you, bring you a picture, bring you a prophetic word, maybe for yourself or for someone else. And then to pick up the word 
and say, Jesus, speak to me and read the Bible as if Jesus is speaking to you and you are listening to him and he is giving you promises and giving you instruction and teaching you how to live your life. Are you someone actively listening to Jesus in your Christian life? Doesn't that, I think that makes quiet times really exciting actually. Here's, here's a moment set aside where I really I'm just going to listen to my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And of course, it's not just about a quiet time during the day. It's about taking every step thinking, Jesus, are you leading? Are you guiding? How can I put into action the instructions in the Bible? How can I live for Jesus? I want to listen to him. I want him to guide me. We want to listen to Jesus. That's what God the Father says to the disciples. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Oh Lord, make me a better listener today. And when you listen to Jesus, some of the things he says are spectacular. Some of the things he says are promises, comforts to us. He says, come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, if you then, who, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He says, whoever believes in the Son of Man may have eternal life. When you listen to Jesus, he speaks wonderful promises into our lives, doesn't he? But he also sometimes speaks things that are challenging. If you remember last week, and this is the only command and challenge that I'm going to read from Jesus, but I think it's a big one. From Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, says Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus speaks amazing promises. We need to listen to him. You know, when we're feeling weak and fragile and, and oh, I just can't go on. When we're feeling like Elijah in 1 Kings 19, it's just time to give up. We need to listen to Jesus to hear these amazing promises spoken into our lives. But we also need to give Jesus space to direct us and to instruct us. We say, Jesus, I'm listening. I want to heed the words of Matthew 16. How can I deny myself in order to show sacrificial love to someone in my life today? I'm listening to you, Jesus. I'm obeying you, Jesus. I want to be a listener because that's what God the Father said to us, that we should listen to his beloved son. Are you a good listener to Jesus? And as I draw to a close this morning, I just want to draw your attention to verse 7 once again. The very first thing Jesus says after the Father says, listen to him. I suspect we should look at those words quite carefully. The Father says, listen. What does Jesus say next? Rise and have no fear. I, don't, I think those are appropriate words to the disciples who fall on their faces in terror. But I also think those are very appropriate words for us in the current situations in which we are living you know, COVID has been difficult. There's 150,000 people in our country who've died from COVID. This is a serious thing. And many of us in different ways have, in a sense, fallen down, going, I'm just struggling, I'm hurting. And maybe we've retreated, maybe we've shrunk back and, and we felt like we can't really be a Christian anymore because of the things that are going on in the world. Maybe you felt a little bit like that. Fear in this situation can easily take our hearts, take our minds and cause us to fall in desperation and just oh, give up. I believe if that's you this morning, Jesus would say, rise and have 
no fear. Enjoy the glory of the Son. Enjoy relationship with the Father. Don't, don't give up on prayer. Don't give up on this amazing relationship with the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Rise and have no fear in the place of prayer. Rise and have no fear in, the, in your relationship with me. But I also say, we still need to be wise. We still need to obey the government guidelines, absolutely. But I also want a, us to see a rise in confidence and in boldness to live by faith. Jesus says to us, rise and have no fear. Don't let fear control the things you do. Let wisdom inform the way you live, absolutely. But don't let fear keep you in chains. But let's be bold. Because Jesus Christ is the beloved son, the glorious one who came to earth to rescue us. He died on the cross. He rose again in glory. And God the Father says, listen to him. And he says, rise and have no fear. Brothers, sisters, I say to you as I draw to a close now, rise and have no fear for God is for you. Jesus loves you and he is your saviour now and always. Rise and have no fear no fear. We're going to sing to end our service in Christ alone. And there's a line in Christ alone that says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. And the Christian faith says, yes, no fear, no fear in death because we don't die. We go to be with God in heaven forever and ever. So there's no fear in death if you're a Christian, but there's also no fear in life because God the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit goes with us wherever we go. And so let us be Christians who rise and have no fear because of who Jesus is and his amazing glory, majesty and power revealed on this mountaintop many years ago. Let me pray. And as I pray, if the band can get going and we'll sing together. Let's stand. Let's, let's rise and have no fear. And let me pray. Lord Jesus, we give you the praise and we give you the glory this morning. Your face shone and your clothes dazzled and Moses and Elijah was there and the cloud, the bright cloud came and the Father spoke in order to give you the glory and to give you the attention, Lord Jesus. And so we say we love you, Jesus. We worship you. You are the beloved son. You are the glorious one. You are the spectacular one. You are our saviour who died for us. You are with the Father in glory. And Lord, we want to see, we want to get a glimpse of your glory together as we sing now, Lord God. We love you, Jesus Christ. We love the way you've revealed to us your glory in this passage. Lord, we thank you that you are greater than Moses, for you are not just a prophet, but you are the true son of the Father. Lord, open our ears and open our hearts to make us great listeners and take away fear from our hearts that we might rise to love and serve you in everything we do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.